Daniel chapter 12. This is what we read in the last chapter. Daniel 12 verse 1. At that time Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is written in the book. Who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others. One on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said, and, and one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and then his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, And half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. All these things shall be finished. Although I heard I did not understand. Then I said my Lord what shall be the end of these things? And he said go your way Daniel. For the words are closed up. Sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits, comes to the 1,000 335 days. But you, go your way. Go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. There's something about the more seriously we think about something, right? When we think critically about something, what I mean by critically is not criticizing something, but we think critically, we try to understand something, we try to analyze it, so we think seriously about something, contemplate it, again, think critically about it. Sometimes when we do that, we come away with more questions than answers, don't we? Have you ever done that? Any subject, just think about it. I mean, you know, you try to figure out something and you're like, man, you know, I got a question about this, I got a question about that. And sometimes when we really do serious thinking about something, particularly an issue, 
We're trying to figure out an issue. We're trying to figure out something in life. We're trying to figure out something about our lives or, or, or whatever it may be. And we really sit down and we think we're not distracted. We think seriously about it. A lot of times we get up and we walk away with more questions than we have answers. Well, it's that way with the gospel sometimes. It's that way with trying to understand fully the gospel. I mean, it's so simple. Some of the old preachers used to say, it's so simple a child can understand it. And yet it's so deep that an elephant would drown in it. In fact, one writer said that about the gospel of John, the gospel according to John. He said it's so shallow that a child child could understand it. A child could wait around in John and come away with the central message that Jesus is our Savior. But yet John is so deep that an elephant would wait off in it and drown. The Bible's that way. The gospel's that way. And when we, when we think seriously about the Bible and we try to understand things about the Bible, sometimes, and if we do, I think all real good Bible study, when we're serious and we're really, really serious about thinking great thoughts about God and trying to understand His Word, I think all good Bible study will walk away with more questions than we have answers. In fact, I think if we're really seriously thinking about our lives, we'll walk away with more questions than we have answers. Now, that bothers some people. Some people can't live that way. Some people have to have everything nice and neat, tied up, sewed up, and here it is. Here's my box. I've got to be, everything's got to be in the box. Anything out of the box, and no, I can't deal with that. And yet God has a way of blowing our boxes away, doesn't he? I mean, just open the Bible and start reading it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just stop and think seriously about God. And I will come away with more questions than I have answers. I don't know that those questions will ever fully be answered. I don't know that. I know sometimes we like to think that, don't we? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him about this. I want to know about this and that and that. I don't know. I don't know... If there's times like that, I mean, we've got all eternity. I don't know if we'll be able to sit down with Paul and say, Paul, what did you mean? Or I don't know that we'll ever be able to sit down with Daniel. Say, hey, Daniel, what was your relationship with Nebuchadnezzar really like? Or Daniel, what did you think when this happened? What did you think when, when you get to that end of the last part, the last section of your book, and all these visions come? What really was going on in your mind? I don't know that we'll ever get to do that. I don't know. John just says, when we see, we'll know. I don't know what he means by that, just that we'll know. We're going to know. We're going to see Christ. I know that. So, you get my point. Sometimes we come away with more questions than, or, or, than we do answers. And that's okay. We have to be willing because a life of faith, a life of faith, a living by faith demands that we live with some amount of tension. Not fully seeing, not fully understanding, now looking in a glass, a mirror in a glass that's dim and sort of looking and not seeing, seeing, not seeing. You get it? That is a life of faith. I have to live that way. That is my relationship with God. That is my understanding of the gospel. 
Is it clear that Christ is a Savior? Yes. Is it clear that He died on a cross, was buried, raised the third day? Is it clear that He died for my sins? Is it clear that He took upon Him my sin, and when I turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Him, that what I receive in return is all of His righteousness? Is that clear? Yes. But then how to live that sometimes? And trying to get behind that sometimes? Is the love of God clear? Yes. I know He loves me. Is that clear? Yes. Here's one though. Why did He love me? Now I sit down and start thinking about that very long and I come away with more questions than answers. Why did He love me? How could He love me? How could He love me? I know my heart. I know what I was. I know what I am. How could He love me? Right? So I have to just come back by faith and say, I know He does, and I know what the, what the Bible says about the Gospel, and I have to live in that. I think you get my point. We have to be willing to live with some tension there between what's clear and what's not clear. And I have to be willing to live with some questions that go unanswered. At least this side of heaven. Here's another one though. And this one is figured out throughout Daniel. From the opening of the book of Daniel to the closing. This is one that when we sit down and think about it, it really begins. And and, and we just kind of do more than just a casual observance of it. But we really think seriously about the sovereignty of God. And yet the responsibility... Of man. I mean, haven't we seen this in Daniel? We've seen the sovereignty of God over and over, time and time and time and time again. In the end, who was it that was in control of all of this? Not Nebuchadnezzar, not Cyrus, not Darius. And here lately in these last, this last vision, not Antiochus IV, not Antiochus Epiphanes, The Babylonians weren't in control. The Greeks weren't in control. The Romans who are sort of here at the beginning of their empire and later will come. Romans aren't in control. Who's in control? Our sovereign God is in control. And he comes through time and time again. But yet, what do we see? We don't see Daniel just sitting back and saying, Ah, God's got it. Come on, fellas. Let's kick back on the riverbank. And let's just sit back and relax and watch it all unfold. No, what we see time and time again is Daniel understanding that yes, God is sovereign. But yes, there there were certain things. There were certain responsibilities that he had. So, in light of this, in trying to understand... And look, we'll we'll never be able to resolve that tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. I can't do it. I can't bring the two and meet together. But I trust by faith they do come together in God's mind. I see them both and so I have to believe them both and I try to live them both as best that I can. So what do we do? What do we do? One thing we could do is just walk away. Right? We could just walk away from all of it and say, I don't want any more of this. If I can't understand it and it can't fit my I just walk away. And there are people that do that to the Christian faith. There are people when they approach the gospel and the Christian faith, if it does not satisfy every curiosity that they have, what do they do? They walk away. And they say, that's not for me. 
I'm going to put my trust in something I can understand fully. And they'll spend a whole lifetime because they'll never find anything. Ever. And they wake up, some wake up on their deathbed and say, what in the world happened? Right? So, I mean, we, we could walk away. And we could only we, we could just say, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pick and choose. I'm going to pick what I fully understand, and I'll accept that as true. Everything else that I don't understand, I'm going to just reject that. That's not true. There are people who approach the gospel that way, approach the Bible that way. Whatever is there that I could really prove, and today that I could prove, let's just say, with science... I'll accept that and I'll believe that. The other stuff I'll throw out. There are people that do that. Guess what? They end up in the same position. Or I can just simply live by faith and understand it's going to be a tension. And it's going to be, sometimes there are going to be things that I don't fully understand, right? How many times in your life has something happened and you're like, I I have no idea why this is there. So we live by faith. This is what Daniel did. Look, Daniel didn't understand everything. I'm sure Daniel scratches his head and has scratched his head a number of times and trying to to understand what in the world is it that I just saw? And here comes an explanation and even at the explanation, he still sometimes is mystified by what he's seeing. Sometimes it burdened him. In fact, that's the way this vision in chapter 10, chapter 10, 11, and 12, it's the final vision. 10, 11, and 12 go together. You remember when we started, we opened this last section in chapter 10. Daniel says that he was troubled. He was burdened. What was he burdened about? He was burdened, I think, by the heaviness What he did understand, he understood, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. So, in Daniel chapter 12, the very final chapter of the book of Daniel, there's two final revelations here. Actually, the first revelation, the first four verses, is actually the end of the vision. Chapter 11 is the vision. Chapter 10 is the preparation for the vision. That, that, that humble prayer of Daniel there. Chapter 11 is the actual vision. And actually the first four verses of chapter 12 are the end, the tail end of the vision that he received. That's the first revelation. And in that, there is this grand hope, this great hope for deliverance and glory. But then verse 5 actually starts the conclusion of the book. How long? What's going to be the outcome? And there's a revelation here that God gives Daniel that is amazing. It's amazing. So, these two, these two revelations, the first four verses, and then beginning in verse 5, the actual conclusion of the book. Well, let's, let's, let's dig into the first one, chapter 12, verse 1. The hope of deliverance and the hope of glory. This is how it starts. And, and are actually, again, remember the first four verses here are actually the end of the vision of chapter 11. That grand vision of chapter 11 that Daniel sees that basically takes, and, and again, remember, it takes up the history we've already seen in chapter 8. And this vision that takes us all the way from Cyrus to Antiochus Epiphanes 
the abomination of desolation that happened with him. But then in chapter 11, verse 36, there's a slight turn in which it seems to be pointing to something future. In other words, Antiochus was a type. Antiochus was sort of a foreshadow of a really despicable person who's to come. And we've been introduced to him before earlier. That's the Antichrist. So verse 1 of chapter 12 is sort of the final little section of this vision. And it's dealing, I think, again, it's dealing with future. It's dealing with the end. This is what verse 1 says. At that time, Michael shall stand up. And we've seen Michael already. We've already been introduced to Michael in this book. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Is this the tribulation? Is this what Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21? This time of trouble? Is it somehow tied to this time, times, and half times? Possibly. Possibly. It doesn't say for sure, but possibly. But what we do know and what we've seen throughout this book and what we've seen throughout these visions is that as we do get closer to the end, what seems to take place is a great time of distress, turmoil, and there's going to be a great time of persecution. So this is what he says, and there shall be a time of trouble. Again, we've seen this idea already in Daniel. Such as never was since there was a nation. This is what Jesus, when when he talks about this time of trouble in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Even to that time, and then at that time, again, I think we're future. I don't think this is still dealing with the history of Antiochus here. We, We have shifted in verse 36 of chapter 11, and we're still in the future here. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Man, that's glorious. It's going to get bad. And there's going to be a bad dude. But unexpectedly, that's the language here. At a time unexpected, deliverance comes. I think the idea behind this deliverance is when you have run out of all human resources, and you have exhausted everything that you've been doing to try to deliver yourself. Finally, deliverance comes. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out in the end. I don't know. I know Jesus is coming back. And I know that when he comes back, we'll see here in just a second, there's a resurrection. But I know when he comes back, there's going to be a judgment. He's going to set things right. And he's going to set things in order. He's coming back physically, bodily to this earth. I don't know all the details about that. But I do know that when he comes, he delivers. And he delivers. He's not coming in the sense of dying on a cross and delivering us from our sin. He, did, he delivered us from the penalty of our sin. Some writers have, said, have put it this way. He's coming and he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. And he's going to deal with our enemies. That's amazing. Isn't that true, though, in in our lives individually? At the time we come to the end of our resources, it seems that's when God kicks in, right? It's almost as if he says, you got an issue, you got a problem, you got a problem with that person, you got a financial issue, you got a health issue, you got this, that. And, And it's like when we come to the end of our resources, then God seems to kick in, right? It's almost as if he sits back and says, go ahead, 
Go ahead, solve it. Take care of it. Try to deliver yourself. Try to work it out on your own. Do that. Go ahead. And then we finally just throw our hands up and say, I I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have anything else to try. And God says, fine, it's where I want you. I mean, how how many times has he moved that way in your life? I can tell you he's done that thousands of times in my life because I'm hard-headed and and the first time I want to do I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of it. I will do it. My daughter's here and I'm going to embarrass her. I think that was her first words. You want me to tie your shoes? I will do it. You want me to help you in the car? I will do it. You want me to help you with it? I will do it. But I think that's in all of our hearts, really, you know. You got a problem? You got a husband who's an idiot? I will fix it. You got a wife who's driving you crazy? I will fix her. You got children who are absolutely acting like nuts? I will fix them. You got a boss who is terrible? I will fix him. You get the picture? Isn't that what we do? And yet sometimes at the end, when we come to the end of our resources and we finally say, I can't fix it. Isn't that when God moves? Why can't we start there? I don't know. I don't know why I can't start there. I don't know why. But deliverance comes. And that's the first thing that he says here. This this time of trouble and there's going to come deliverance. Everyone who is found written in the book Man, the book's interesting. I wish Daniel would have, ex- would have explained this a little more. Uh, Moses mentions the book, Exodus chapter 32. He mentions the book. In fact, Moses puts it this way. If you're not going to forgive their sins, then block me out of your book. What book? We see it again in the book of Revelation, right? In fact, several places we, we read of a book that God has. And at the very end of the book of Revelation, we read about it being the Lamb's book of life. Right? He apparently has a book. He apparently has names in that book. And apparently, apparently, even as Daniel, within the context of Daniel here, everyone who is found written in the book, that's who's being delivered. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. What is this? This is resurrection. This is the first clear reference in the Old Testament to double resurrection. What do I mean by double resurrection? It's this. Listen to the language. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, be resurrected, some to everlasting life. Connect that with the book, connect that with this deliverance. In other words, these are the believers. Resurrect, resurrected to everlasting life. I think language of resurrected to heaven, to live in heaven, eternity with God forever. But, but, but then some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, there's going to be a resurrection of everybody. Paul's defense before Felix. And in that defense, as he's giving his defense before Felix, Paul mentions the fact that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. The just to heaven, the unjust to an eternity to an eternal punishment in which they face the wrath of God for all eternity and what we know and what the Bible calls hell. 
Jesus talks about the resurrection and the judgment to come and the separation that's going to happen, the sheep and the goats and this judgment that's coming, the great white throne of God and so forth. So this is language of resurrection. He's going to deliver those people, the book, there's a resurrection, some to everlasting, to, to everlasting life and some to, to everlasting contempt. Notice everlasting here. The joy of heaven is eternal, but the wrath of God in hell is eternal as well. It's not annihilation. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. In other words, I think that this is, again, this is language of deliverance, but it's also language of vindication. Believers are going to be vindicated. Was Daniel vindicated in this book? Yes. Time and time again. Were his friends vindicated early on in this book? You remember the first six chapters? That's the first section of Daniel, and there were those stories. And then we got to chapter 7, and Daniel completely changed. In 7 through 12, there are visions. But in those stories that we're so familiar with, was Daniel and his friends vindicated? Yes. Were the wicked punished? Yes. Yes, they were. You know, this, the, the language here too is sort of reminiscent. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, he who wins souls is wise. I mean, the idea here is that, as he says, that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness. The idea is that it's not that we just get this and hold it to ourselves. We are to be, well, we use the word evangelizing, right? I mean, the New Testament, the, the evangelization, evangelizing, the spread of the gospel, warning sinners, pleading with people to come to Christ. We see the apostles doing this. We should be doing this as well, right? Then verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now that's the end of the vision of chapter 11. We'll come back to this idea when he says to shut up the words and seal the book in just a minute. But notice... They're going to be running to and fro. They're going to be like almost this, this panic, scattered, scatterbrained. And, and knowledge is going to increase. It's going to continue to increase. We are in the information age, right? I mean, that's all you hear about, the information age. And we've talked about this some. Information, it's amazing. Information's doubling. There are some estimates that information used to take 100 years for information to double than 50. And, and now there's some estimates that not in the, very, in the very distant future, information will double every 12 hours. That's staggering. Staggering. This knowledge is going to continue to increase. We'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 5, here we go. This is the conclusion. So, so the first revelation, this hope of deliverance, this hope of glory, resurrection, eternal life in heaven. And then we get to the final, this, the second revelation in 12, the final, the conclusion of the whole book of Daniel. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank, Chapter 10, verse 4, remember this opens in the preparation for the vision. He's at the river. So here he is with two others, evidently uh, angels. Not identified, but he's there and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. 
And one, one said to the man clothed in linen. This is an image we've seen before. This linen evidently symbolizing in some sense some type of priestly function. Now, when it's appeared before, the question is, is this Christ? Is this some sort of pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? I don't know. I don't think so. It just doesn't seem to fit the context here. I don't know who this is. But they said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? How long is this going to take place? How long is this going to happen? How long? When is this going to take place? Again, now keep the overall thrust, I think, of the, these visions and what the end is going to be like. It's, it's not going to just kind of be this grand time of great party and no trouble it seems that the closer we get to the end there are going to be perilous times and it's going to be a time of turmoil and trouble and persecution and all that kind of thing and when you're in the midst of that the question is whenever you're hurting and and, and struggling the question always comes to our mind right how long will this go on how long will this go on Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I don't think Daniel gives a clear answer here. I don't think Daniel's given a clear answer here. But there's a common theme that we've seen throughout the book of Daniel, and especially with these visions, and especially when these time issues come up. Whenever whenever it is, however it's going to happen, there is a definite end to it. You remember in the vision... Chapter 11 last week, the appointed time. The appointed time's not yet, the appointed time. I mean, that occurred, what, three or four times in that vision? I don't fully understand all of the time issues here, but I do understand this. In the sovereignty of God, he brings it to a close on his own timetable. He'll bring it to a close. He's going to bring all of this to a close. So how long is it going to be? This is what they're asking. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then verse 7, Then I heard a man clothed in linen, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven. I think this is an interesting, this is interesting what he's doing. I mean, he holds up right hand. And that's, that's one thing, right? But then to hold up both hands? I think both hands means it's a solemn, this is serious all right, I mean, sometimes when you're worshiping, you hold up, you know, one hand. But then when you're really, you're like two hands, right? I think this is sort of a symbolic way of saying, hey, this is serious. This is solemn. This, this, is, this is it. This is it. So, he held up his right hand, he held up his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for time, times, And half a time. And when the power of the Holy One has been completely shattered, and when the power of the Holy People has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Now we've dealt with time, times, and half a time. Chapter 7, verse 25. Again, I I, I don't fully know. Is this this the tribulation? Is this the three and a half year period? Is this, I, I, I don't fully know for sure. I do think it's future. I do think it has something to do with that. But the language here again, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, is this when they are just totally in complete distress here? 
All these things shall be finished. Notice again what is clear. These things shall be finished. God's in control of it. Verse 8, although I heard, I did not understand. Even Daniel didn't understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? What's the outcome here? And he said, go your way, Daniel. I want to come back to that. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Now, let me deal with closing up and sealing. It's not that, okay, this thing's going to be closed up, and as we get closer to the end, the secrets are going to come out. That's not what this means. The closing up and the sealing means this is true. This has been validated. That's what the closing up and sealing means. Not that as we get closer, people are going to be given these mysterious revelations and go, ah, I got the key to Daniel. I don't have the key to Daniel. We've been in Daniel all this time, right? I don't have the key to Daniel. In fact, Daniel's left more more questions than answers. But I do know it's true, and I do know that I think this, this sealing... This closing up and sealing is, it's validated, it's official, this is true. It's almost the language that we read, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses is giving the law the second time to Israel before they go in the promised land. Don't you tamper with these words. The end of the book of Revelation. Don't you add, don't you subtract, don't you tamper with these words. And there's a curse pronounced. Right? If you do that. I think that's the idea here. Don't you dare tamper with this. This is official. This is official and it's validated as being true. Remember the vision? I mean, he starts. How many times did Daniel say that? It's true. It's true. So he said, go your way. The words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. What's the outcome? Well, here's the outcome. The wicked are continuing to be wicked. The wicked are going to continue to be wicked. Remember how it ended, how this knowledge is increasing. They're going to keep increasing in knowledge, but they can't come to understand anything. I mean, you want to put your faith and trust in science, go ahead. Science can kind of tell us what it is. Science may even be able to tell us what might be possible or how it can be. But there's one thing science will never tell us, and that's how it ought to be. Science can't tell us how it ought to be. Science can't tell us how it should be. It can't. The Word of God tells us how it should be. Right? Just this week, just allow me just a minute to chase a rabbit here. Just this week, and I don't know if you heard the news, but supposedly through the DNA and all the, all the testing and all the, somebody wrote another paper and uh, said that they have discovered in the DNA, the gist of what they were saying is they have discovered in DNA sort of the sequencing for homosexuality. Now, this goes back to the early 90s, when in the 90s there was this searching for the gay gene. The science and people were saying, oh, I think we found it in this. Now, with the DNA, they're going, I think we found it. But if, if you listen and listen to the language of what they're saying, and I'm no DNA expert, all right? I'm not by any means. But 
But you listen to the language of what they're saying. They didn't say definitively. They didn't go, ah, yes, we found the DNA that makes up, and if you have this DNA, then you're going to be this way. They didn't say that. They said it may. There's a lot in it may, right? (laughs) I may get home and have a million dollars. That's different from saying, Shay, we get home, we got a million dollars. Right? Besides, let me say this, because you're going to hear more of this. It's, going, it's, going, it's just going to be everywhere, and you're going to hear more and more and more and more of it. When God created everything, God created the perfect DNA, and He created it male and female. He created the perfect DNA. The DNA that scientists are looking at right now is fallen, corrupted DNA. How did it get corrupted? Through the entrance of sin and through the fall in the Garden of Eden. We are not looking at perfect DNA. I don't know. Again, I'm no DNA expert. But from what I've read, all the DNA, there is some corruption in it. And they acknowledge there are some errors in it. Don't fully understand it. Well, I can give an explanation. I can give a pretty reasonable explanation for it. The reason there's corruption in errors is because we are fallen creatures. That's why. You want to say our knowledge is increasing and we're always coming to this great understanding of things and man is progressing and progressing. The wicked will continue to do wicked things. Even with the truth of God that they may find in nature. Isn't this what Paul said in Romans 1? They will continue They will shut their eyes to the truth. They will close their minds to the Creator. And where they end up is unthinkable. And not only will they end up in unthinkable things and doing unthinkable things, they will approve people who do unthinkable, wicked things. That's scary. But I'm going to tell you what, it's an apt description of where we are. Knowledge increasing. All of this. What's the outcome? The wicked are going to continue to be wicked. They're going to continue to do wicked things. But the wise will understand. Are we going to understand everything fully? No. But we'll be able to see it and spot it and go, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's something that's, that's, that, that, that we need to follow and so forth. Verse 11. And from that time the daily sacrifice is taken away. The abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the end of 1,335 days. Abomination of desolation. This is exactly what Antiochus did. We dealt with that history. Slaughters a pig on the altar in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. That seems to be, again, a type and a foreshadow of what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to be horrible. He's going to be terrible. He's going to unleash a persecution on the people of God. And he's going to do unspeakable things. He's going to set himself up as God. He's going to act like God. And he's going to desecrate everything. Everything of God. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to be held by a whole lot of people. They were going to buy into his schemes. That's what he's going to do. But I want you to notice too, verse 13, but you go your way till the end. 
See, the language, every, every, every turn, the language that's here is that there's an appointed end. There's an appointed end. There's an appointed end. There's an appointed end. Daniel, there's an appointed end. They don't have free reign. Satan does not have free reign. The Antichrist will not have free reign. There's an appointed end to it all. But you go your way and find, and for you shall find rest and will arise in your inheritance at the end of the days. The glory, the inheritance, this resurrection. I don't think it's a, it's a mistake. Will arise. I, I, I think again, here's the language of resurrection. Whatever and however this thing plays out, what's going to happen in the end, we're, we're going to be okay. What's the outcome? The outcome is this. The wicked will continue to do wicked things and they're going to evidently have a leader who's going to do wicked things, but the righteous are going to be okay because in the end we're going to be victorious. In the end we win. In the end in Christ, there's an end brought to it. There's deliverance that's coming and there's, there's a glory that awaits us. Why is he saying this? Why does it close this way? Encouragement. Encouragement. Keep going. The wicked will get their due. The righteous will be rewarded. You see, when you look at Daniel as a whole, and you look at the first six chapters in these stories, these beautiful, wonderful stories, it's more than just moral stories about how to, how to be moral and how to be good and how to be faithful and so forth. It's more than that. There's more to that than this. You see, when you look at it, what you find is that Daniel and his friends, in the midst of, of horrible situations, and, and Daniel and his friends are raised to higher and higher and higher and higher glory, aren't they? God honors and honors and honors and honors and raises them to higher and higher in glory. What happens to the wicked? They are destroyed. They are destroyed. And the visions, chapter 7 through 12, and these visions, this, this, this sort of this panoramic sweeping view of this history from Cyrus all the way to Antiochus the fourth. The kingdoms of man are unstable. They will not last. They come, they go, they rise, they fall. Kings come and go. Governments come and go. Nations come and go. They are not stable they're not. There will be justice. There will be retribution. Justice is coming. And retribution. God will pour out His wrath on His enemies. Psalm 2. I love the psalm. The way that psalm ends. You know, the psalmist is writing there and he says at the very end of that, listen, you know what? You better kiss the sun. I'm not talking about the sun that's in the sky. You better kiss the sun. Talking about Jesus. You better kiss the sun. Lest His wrath, and this is a loose paraphrase of it, lest His wrath break out over you. What does He mean by kiss the sun? You better pay homage to Him. You better bow the knee before Him. You better come to Him in repentance and faith. And you better make sure you're right with Him. You've got time right now. There's coming a time when that's over. That's done. And, and you will face His wrath. You will face His wrath. The other thing is God is sovereign throughout this. Throughout the whole book of Daniel, God is sovereign. Dare to be a Daniel. Remember we started this. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand. Dare is the song, the wonderful song. Dare to be a Daniel. 
Dare to face lion's dens. Dare to do this. Stand up to kings and all this. Yeah, that's right. It's there. But there's more than that. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to trust God even when it seems like the circumstances contradict everything you believe. Are you going to trust God? Dare to trust Him in that. Now you're getting close to Daniel. Now you're getting close to Daniel. But I'm left with this. Okay, what do we do? I mean, we can all intellectually check those boxes. But what do we do? Remember verse 9? And he said, go your way, Daniel. Verse 13? But you go your way till the end. What's he saying? He's saying this. In spite of all that you may not understand, Daniel, and in spite of what you do understand and knowing that this this isn't going to be pretty, live your life. Don't panic. Don't turn away in despair. You live your life and you live a life of faith and trust in God. I think that's what he means by go your way. Go your way. I don't think he means go your own way. Decide your own future. Take your, take your life in your own hands and do your own thing. I don't think that, that can't be what he's, he means because that's totally against everything the gospel's about, right? I don't think it means, hey, you can't understand it, Daniel. This is, a two, this is way above your head. Just go your way, man. <laughs> Forget this stuff. Go live, be happy, forget this kind of stuff. Don't think about this kind of stuff. You'll drive yourself mad. That's not, that can't be what he means. He has to mean when he says, go your way. And what he says to us, and what do we do in light of this? How long? I don't know. What's the outcome? I do know this. The wicked will get their due and the righteous are going to be rewarded. And I do know that in all that, God is sovereign and takes care of us and will deliver us and loves us through it. Okay, then in light of that, what do I do? I live my life by faith. I go and do whatever God's called me to do. Whatever calling He's placed me in, in this life. What do I do? I do it to His glory. I live my life to His glory. And I do it, man. I live it. And along the way, I'm going to try to bring as many people as I can with me. I'm going to try to bring as many people as I can with me. Because if they don't come to Christ, their end's not pretty. It's to live to God's glory. Whatever I do, whether I'm eating, drinking, working, playing, whatever, I'm doing it to His glory. I'll close with this. Turn to 2 Peter. I think Peter captures this beautifully. I don't know if he had this in mind. I don't know if he had Daniel in mind. I don't know. But this is what he says as he closes his book. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's dealing with the end times. He's dealing with the day of the Lord. And this is what he says. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? What are we to do? 
What's the outcome? What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You are to be, or you are to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the, of, of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his letters, his epistles, speaking in them of things in which some are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. This is what the wicked do, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's the way Peter ends. I don't know a lot about the end. What what should I do? Man, I need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to be living by faith. That's what Daniel's encouraging us to do. But I have to... Did did you hear the warning of Peter? This is the warning. You could be deceived. You could be totally deceived. You could be totally deceived in thinking that you're a believer and you're not. I don't want that for you. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Him. Because if you don't know Him, you don't have any hope. I want you to know Him. There's no other Savior, He's the one who'll deliver. He's the one who died, was buried, raised the third day. He's the one who stands and says to you, come. He's saying it to you right now. You hear him? You hear him? Put away your pride. And just come. Just come. Let's pray.